Um, I'm Morgan Flores and I play for the UW softball team and this is Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Your host, as always, Bell Garcia and Charles mm-hmm. Hamaker. Uh, interesting sort of week again. I mean, it's it's never not an interesting week as we join you here on Memorial Day uh, of 2022. Um, but it's it's always unique to get into the teams and see their different stories as we continue on. So uh, with that being said, Bell, I mean, not too much heading over in the Seahawks section as we kind of get through OTAs and all that, yeah. but some at least notable, right? Nothing super huge for team notes here. Um, on the 23rd, Russell Wilson did speak up about the matchup against the Seahawks, saying that he does he wants it to be a non-emotional week one against Seattle. Um, he said, it's just ball. There's been amazing times. So <laughs> um, not to like shortchange his time here, but. Do you have any, th- I think that's a load of. BS. I mean, it's there's no emotion. I mean, do you think he's going to just tune that out? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of history there. There's a title in there uh, in his career in Seattle. Was drafted, and his whole story wasn't supposed to be a starter ever. Matt Flynn was going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you buy any of that? No, I don't. I don't, I don't know. But I think we've talked about it before and just how like the fans will receive him, and I think that will definitely play into how non-emotional <laughs> the matchup is. So. Yeah, I'm interested because I know there is – I think it's pretty split with how people will react to that with, oh, it's Russell Wilson. He's gave so much to the city, which I get both sides. But also we knew that this was brewing for years, and I tried to put it off, and I tried to give hope that it mm-hmm. wasn't which I was wrong about. I'll openly admit that. But I don't know. I don't really buy that whole non-emotional stuff. I think that's I think that's real. him downplaying how everything went down. Yeah. yeah. Calling you out, Russell. <laughs> <All right. Okay. laughs> On the 26 year for team notes, uh, the team loses an executive. The Seahawks scouting executive Alonzo Highsmith is returning to his alma mater of Miami as its new general manager of football operations. Just a little bit on Highsmith's life here. He's a former fullback and former boxer. He served as the vice president of player personnel for the Cleveland Browns from 2018 to 2019. So best of luck in his future endeavors there. Um, moving on to some league news here. Uh, that's a lot going on in league news. Yeah, things yeah. things picked up around the league, but not necessarily with us. Yeah, for sure. So on the 23rd, kind of a busy day. Um, Arizona is now going to be featured on Hard Knocks. Not sure if you guys are updated on the show currently. I think Dallas is in the season, right? I think that well, the preseason um, Cardinals, I know that for in-season, it was the Colts last year. And they was had it? this okay. really nice... Uh, they were getting ready for the playoffs, and then obviously they lost to the Jaguars in, what, week 18, and okay. people were really excited to see how that played out yeah. uh, on the show itself because there must have been some. I didn't watch it, but it'll be interesting to note that a lot of the Hard Knocks teams, knock on wood, don't reach the Super Bowl, so Oof. maybe that's a good thing <laughs> for us, but I don't know. I okay. don't really care for Hard Knocks yeah. that much. The last one I remember, and I might be behind, but I do remember watching the Dallas Cowboys and them going through the Dak Prescott injury. So that was the last thing I remember. Anywho, Cardinals are next up. Um, The Commanders might be moving to Virginia. So the Washington football team has reportedly purchased 200 acres of land for a new stadium, but it's even further away from D.C. than FedEx Field is. Not very encouraging to the fans, so we'll see how they feel about that there, if that's actually news or just a rumor. 
Um, moving on here, the 49ers are open to trading Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's been kind of known since the offseason, maybe even the season. Um, but the team and QB are open to a trade that is flexible to find the best situation. So we'll keep you updated on if Jimmy Garoppolo moves or where he ends up. Um, and then more 49ers news here. Uh, Debo Samuel has chosen to skip the 49ers OTAs. Now, some players, such as Aaron Rodgers, choose to do it because of, of course, their tenure with the team and they don't feel like it's completely necessary with them. There's a little bit of drama going on with the Debo Samuel situation. Um, how do you see this playing out? I, I think he stays with the team. I don't yeah. think with the quality of a player that he is uh, and what he brings to the table, I, I think John Lynch talked about it a few weeks ago, it they would be pretty insane to move him but at the end of the day if he does not want to be in a 49ers uniform he won't be in a 49ers uniform right that's how it is um i just otas is one thing once we get into actual training camp in what august mm -hmm. and we see that ramp up then i would show some concern but right now i've seen crazier situations where this angles into a new deal ken yeah. chancellor was holding out around this time training camp for a new deal and he got a new deal so could this be a new deal yes if this continues into training camp and more details unfold then i will be like oh maybe we'll get devo out of the division but as a fan would you be so like open-armed and having him back with him saying that he doesn't want to be in a 49ers uniform it depends on the situation yeah because if it's like the uh if it's some oh i just hate san francisco uh they play in santa clara uh, that I will die on that hill. I will die on that <laughs> hill. Uh, but if it's just, oh, the front office is treating me wrong, then it's like, oh, you know, it's not on you. But if it's a diff it's any, it, it, it depends on the circumstances is my point on that. Yeah. So uh, cautiously, I would say, yes, I would. But it, I, it depends on the circumstances. Okay, moving on here. That wraps up the 23rd, and we'll move on to the next day here. More notes for the 24th. Um, the NFL Combine is staying in Indianapolis. In 2023 and 2024, scouting, scouting combines will officially be held in Indianapolis following relocation rumors. So no need to pay attention to those rumors anymore. <laughs> it's been confirmed. Um, the NFL has also expanded the Rooney rule. Teams looking to hire a QB coach will now have to interview a candidate from an underrepresented group. And I just have to say in regards to that, that it's about time. And I can't believe that wasn't instituted previously. <laughs> so moving on here, the NFL's getting rid of the Pro Bowl. Um, the league is reportedly discussing ways to improve Pro Bowl week, including the possibility of eliminating the game altogether. And I can say personally for myself that I don't watch the Pro Bowl. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> watch the Pro Bowl. I mean, it's just been something that, you know, different leagues around the country have worked on their all-star games. Uh, you know, the NBA, I know there's some weird point requirement for that they have to hit. Yeah. And there's the way that the teams are drafted. I know a few years ago, the NFL did, it was like Team Dion versus Team Chris Carter, mm -hmm. you know, um, where they were drafted, I believe. It's just, it's tough when there's nothing at stake and players are more worried about not getting injured. You know, there has yeah. to be something that they want to play for. If you're there and it's just a participation thing, it's like, okay, you get the clips of the Pro Bowl where guys are like hugging and it's a tackle, you know, so, uh, I, hey, there are people in this position that get paid the big bucks to, big bucks to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So do I see the Pro Bowl getting removed? Probably not. Probably not. No, I figure they're going to try some stopgap situation and maybe it works, but I 
you know, Pro Bowl. I have not sat down and watched a Pro Bowl in years. Yeah. I haven't ever. <laughs> Moving on here um, to some more Deshaun Watson news. So the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, states that the league is nearing the end of its investigation into sexual misconduct allegations against the Browns quarterback. So, of course, we'll make sure to keep you updated on what that means for him and whether that means he starts the season or if things get delayed a little bit. Um, that wraps up the 24th. We'll move on to the 25th year. Uh, Colin Kaepernick finally landed an NFL workout after five years out of the league. So he did work out with the Las Vegas Raiders last Wednesday, May 25th. And it's reported that he's in great shape and the workout went well. But it's been radio silence since then, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what that was about. You know, if he sat there and performed well, you know, you've got Derek Carr. So I'd, he's not sitting there and performing for a starter role. Uh, but it's always good to have depth. It's always good to have depth. Um, I'm just interested to see, you know, if you're not, if you're going to be radio silent, like you've said, was it just to work him out, see what he's got, see, kick the tires, help him, you know, sort of showcase himself to the rest yeah. of the league. And part of the reason that I was interested in this headline was it throws out any narrative that it's just a publicity thing. He doesn't want to actually play. He worked out. He was reported in great shape. The workout went well. He wants to play. You know, at, at the end of the day, I didn't like him for the longest time because he was a 49ers quarterback, mm -hmm. you know. So it's like, I don't care if he's doing well, someone has to sign him because there are quarterbacks on other rosters that are not as good as right. him. You know, and I'm not saying he's great, but, you know, he's better than some of the options that are on actual rosters and actual contracts. Yeah. Right now. And he's been open to a backup role, and I think he would make a great backup. So moving on here. Um the NFL is launching its own streaming service. The league will reported, reportedly launch its own service in July and will feature live games. So does that mean that they're going to be competition for like Sunday ticket or how does that work? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. I just, the, the only way I feel about this is I'm tired of streaming services. There's, yeah. two, there's just, <laughs> too many of them. You know, we're going to get an MLB one and you know, we've already got like Sunday ticket, right? I yeah. Mean, what NFL game pass. It's, right. So what's, I don't know. Too, many, too much to deal with. <laughs> Moving on here. The league is facing a tough legal battle against John Gruden. The NFL went 0-2 to in court against Gruden on Wednesday as a judge tossed out a pair of motions that were filed by the league. And then a day that was a little bit quieter on the 29th, Aaron Donald signs with Kanye's agency. NFL superstar announces that he has signed with West's Donda Sports on the I Am Athlete podcast. He was asked if a signature cleat collection would be coming with that partnership and didn't really give any specifics, kind of was open to the idea, but... Anywho, we don't know what that partnership will bring, so we'll make sure to keep you guys posted here. Um, and then, of course, looking ahead, late July NFL training camp, and that about wraps up our football. So go ahead, and I'll pass it on to you for our Mariners. Another up-and-down week, it seems, for our Mariners who cannot really seem to find their footing or consistency. So with that being said, we'll look to their series here, three games set uh, to begin their homestand against the Oakland Athletics. So on the 23rd versus the Athletics, a 7-6 to six win. Kind of grinding, out that, grinding that out there really close. Third of the game, center fielder Julio Rodriguez going two for four with two runs and three RBIs. The next day, looking to get that series win, unable to do so. A 5-7 to seven loss on the 24th. Play of the game, first baseman Ty France. You hear that name a lot today. Mm -hmm. uh, going one for three with three RBIs and a walk. So a tough one. I mean, it's a two-run game. You're close. It's fine. Go back and win the next game, right? As you can see, they didn't do that. They would lose on the 25th in a Wednesday matinee, 2-4. to four. 
player of the game once again, Ty France going one for two with a run and a walk. So a tough one. I mean, you sit there and at the time, on the loss of that 25th, you were in the bottom of the division. You were playing Oakland, who was fifth in the division, and then you lose a series to them, which you really cannot afford if you want to be a playoff team, if you want to live up to the expectations set by the franchise and the organization, the front office, all that. You have to win series, and you have to take care of the bad teams. And you didn't do that. I mean, this is an Oakland team that gutted itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chapman's gone. Olsen's gone. They traded Chris Bassett. Uh, I think Sean Manaya got traded to the Padres. And so... It's like, hey, these are teams you should roll over. You can lose one game, but ultimately, like I've been saying, as this season has gone on, you have to win series. And you lost one, and then you were in the cellar of the division. Uh, and it, you know, after that game on the 25th, it was like, hey, you have to play Houston now. Houston, top of the division. They found their footing after kind of struggling in the beginning. Did not look good. So we head over to that Houston three-game set, uh, which began on the 27th, a 6-1 to win, which Bell was at. Uh, play the game that I picked, designated hitter Kyle Lewis, <laughs> going one for four with a run and two RBIs in this game. So the bats come alive. Uh, they did. Six to one win. I mean, this is Houston. You think, okay, maybe this is one of those games where they've had where they the offense is good, they shoot up, and then they falter uh, and lose the series. On the 28th, they would be able to continue that offensive performance, winning that game six to nothing. Player of the game, Ty France, once again, going two for four with a run and two RBIs. So you win the series against Houston, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to, again, as another thing that I've said with this team, if you ultimately want to make a playoff spot or win the division, you're going to have to beat the big bad, which is at this time Houston. How long will the Angels continue their successful run? I really don't know because they've dismantled themselves in the past. But beating Houston is what matters. And you've beat Houston at home in series now twice, which is good. Because uh, also, you play all these games against Houston before the All-Star break. So you have to make these count. Yeah. You can't flick the switch on later. Um, but this was this was a win, I would say, in this series. Uh, but I, I will get nitpicky because with the hole that you've dug yourself into, you have to Continue be to pretty win. damn good. Yeah. Yes. So we look at the end of that series there on the 29th. A one to two loss on Sunday. Player of the game, first baseman Ty France going one for three with one RBI, knocking in the only run uh, that the Mariners scored. Now, this was another situation where Seattle uh, left too many guys on base. There was one in the bottom of the seventh where they had runners on second and third with one out. Mike Ford and Luis Hearn strike out. Can't have that. Can't even put the ball in play, right? To not, you know, add more runs, give Marco Gonzalez some run support because Marco didn't have a. Two runs in the modern uh, league, I would say, is a, is an okay outing. You can live with that, right? Because you hope your offense can sustain you and give you more than one mm-hmm. run. They didn't do that. And then the bottom of the ninth, you load the bases. Mike Ford draws a walk, and he got one out. Luis Trenz comes in and grounds into a double play. He had the bases loaded. It was yeah. a golden opportunity. Uh, and then I so because I like to look at the numbers sometimes uh, I've got information for you with the bases loaded this year for oh. the Seattle Mariners with no outs and the bases loaded. They've got a walk, a hit, two sack flies and five plate appearances. So not bad with no outs, right? With one out two thirty one average uh, and 16 plate appearances, which isn't the worst, but with two outs, a 63 average 63 and 16 plate appearances. Obviously the two out numbers are atrocious, but those numbers should all be better. Yeah. These run, runners in scoring position situations have been terrible all, all year. Uh, and it's 
that's another thing. That's another layer. If you want to be a successful ball club, those numbers have to change. And if you've got the talent on this roster, you, it's not like we're looking at opening days roster last year where you've got guys like Sam Haggerty in the lineup with Jake Fraley's, you know, hitting lead off. I think, you know, this, the talent is there. I just wonder, again, this goes, this is something that I've been a, a big sticking point on. Mm-hmm. How much of this is the coaching staff? Mm-hmm. Because when Edgar Martinez was the coaching hitter, the hitting coach, the Mariners were uh, top 10 or top 15 in uh, hits per game and batting average for those t- the time that he was here. As long as he's been gone, they've been the bottom 12 in the league in those categories. And I think I remember you saying that last week as well. Yes, yeah. it just it's something has to change. Obviously, you look at the first two games of the Houston series, the offense was awake, right? But this is something that I'm really interested to see. Like when I said at the top of the segment, the consistency of this mm-hmm. ball club and how much you can keep that going. I don't care if you hit one snag in the road one time and you put up 11 runs against the Astros and then you lose the next three and you put up three combined runs. It does not matter consistency and just being able to be a good ball club day in and day out at the end of the day it's not the end of the world if they don't make the world series this year because they were only the front office hyped up playoffs you're not even reaching that you know at this point you're looking at maybe third in the division fourth division you know i wouldn't say finished in last but you've got to turn things around decently quick um so that's that's my piece on it um so, you know, you lose a series to Oakland, you win a series against uh, Houston. Kind of weird there. Uh, so we'll head over to Player of the Week. Uh, Bell had Julio uh, this week. I, I want to count how many times we've had Julio. I know. Player of the Week. I know. Uh, but you said something interesting. You said it wasn't because of his stats today. Well, why Why does, was that? I guess you could say his stats. It wasn't his, like, weekly stats. Um, it was just, I guess, seeing him continue to grow. Uh, 20, 21-year-old rookie. 14 stolen bases on the season continues that lead. Um, And then in Chuck's blog, I will highlight that he said that he is making his push for AL rookie of the month and possibly AL rookie of the year. So, I mean, that's huge, but that's also based on statistics on what he's been able to accomplish. So I guess it's somewhat of both. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's really turned it on. Uh, Houston's Jeremy Pena has been really good at short for them, and but Julio's catching up. I mean, in F war, he leads in WRC plus hits. I mean, you you, you brought out the stats that I actually wrote <laughs> down, which is kind of funny. But you got a point. I mean, Julio, and I think I had a tweet about it in in the season that has been as tough as it has to begin. Julio has been as just as advertised, just as advertised. You know, there have been prospects that you could say the scouting uh, the. the Developmental team has ruined in the past. Uh, I don't know how much Dustin Ackley, you know, other prospects, whatever. Guys like Julio, you cannot mess up. He is going to be a star, and he has been. So, I mean, do you have any further thought on that? Thank you for it. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah, hard to go wrong with that. I had Kyle Lewis this week simply because, if you know me, Kyle Lewis has always been a favorite of mine, and it's been really great to see him come back and produce as he has. not the biggest numbers in the world, <clears throat> but in his 15 plate appearances since he's been brought back to the ball club, a 267 average, two homers, three RBIs, four hits, a 313 on base percentage, and a 667 slugging percentage. Uh, Kyle's just been a guy that has had a really rocky career to begin uh, with injuries and, yeah, just injuries <clears throat> and just not being able to stay on the field. And so to see him back, see him producing in this lineup, 
not yet taking out field play, just kind of mm-hmm. being in there as a hitter and being successful in that role. It's, it's His story is great, and I just hope that they manage that properly because that's something that Scott Service said before one of the games. He's not going to play outfield for a while, but they do want to make sure that he gets out there and they're going to monitor it as that progresses. So uh, we look over to team-related news here on the 24th. Kyle Lewis returned to the lineup as we're getting to. He was reinstated from the 10-day IL, and as I said, in that DH role, he's going to be there for a while. Scott Service said he won't play in the outfield for a decent amount of time, foreseeable future. On the 25th, right-handed pitcher Adrian Sampson declined his outright assignment to AAA Tacoma and elected free agency. So kind of interesting. He says, mm-hmm. nah, I'm not, I'm not going to stay in your organization. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, on the 26th, right-handed pitcher Drew Steckenrider was optioned to AAA Tacoma. So no injury there, just his play to begin the year <clears throat> has not been he's, – he's taken a definite hit from what he was last year. And then a little bit of a prospect check-in uh, on the 26th as well. Right-handed pitcher Connor Jones threw a seven-inning no-hitter for AA Arkansas. Uh, the Travelers pitcher raised his scoreless inning streaks to 22. So kind of interesting to see him there, uh, see how the farm's doing uh, with this system. On the 27th, left-handed pitcher Rowens Elias was selected from AAA Tacoma, and right-handed pitcher Riley O'Brien was designated for assignment. So uh, with that being said... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, Bell. I'm going to hand the yes, league notes to you. Of course. And things kind of took an interesting turn around the league. Yeah. So starting on the 26th here, Anderson Donaldson Sega. Donaldson issues a statement about his racist remark apologizing. Um, there was a mutual understanding in the past. It had never been an issue. Things that we mentioned last week. I guess he's just continuing to go with that. So anyways, issued that apology. Um, the Yankees and the Reigns. The Rays denounce gun violence. Uh, The teams halt their social media coverage of their game to bring attention to facts about gun violence in America. Um, On the 27th here, Giants manager to skip anthem. Gabe Kapler says that he will protest during the national anthem until I feel better about the direction of our country. Um, Mets manager Buck Schwalter says he supports his action and would support his players if they did the same. Uh, Tony LaRusso d- disagrees, calling his action inappropriate. So it'll be interesting to see how the dominoes fall here, here after that. Yeah, so. it's been interesting. I mean, I don't want to denounce, I don't want to de- uh, just move on from the Anderson and Donaldson stuff. But yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that situation's been resolved and moved on from because that was just inappropriate all the ways around. Um, but with what's happened, you know, obviously this is not our field. You know, we're sports, mm-hmm. we do sports. Yeah. But with what's happened, it's been interesting to see not only in Major League Baseball, but what the different leagues around the country have done yes. to bring more attention to that and kind of put that at the forefront. Uh, so it was interesting because I was on Twitter that day when the Yankees and Rays are doing that. Nothing about the game, just information about gun violence, just statistics about it, which was really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, so I, I did see some... Um similar situations where uh, some people on social media were apologizing before they started just, you know, sending out tweets about the sport that they had to continue to do that. Um, So it is interesting to see how some people are, what they're doing to show their support for that. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to say? Close it out. No. Uh, So we'll finish up here with our Mariners sitting at a 20 and 28 record at the moment. Uh, Fourth in the American league West. They will head on the road now for a nine-game series. Well, nine-game series, nine-game road trip uh, <laughs> as they take on the Baltimore Orioles May 31st through June 2nd. 
Uh, those are all 4 a.m. Paci- 4.05 p.m. Pacific time starts. And then traveling down uh, to play, I put the wrong graphic in there. I uh, thought the I The Texas <laughs> Rangers from June 3rd through 5th. Uh, the 3rd at a 5.05 p.m. start. The first, the 4th at a 1.05 and a 5th uh, at 11.30 a.m., 35 a.m. So another, again, just win series. Uh, so we'll head over now. Um, as Bell looks at the Storm, who continue their uh, winning ways here in their historic homestand. Yeah, they're now on a win streak of four games. They played the Liberty on the 27th, and that was a win of 79 to 71 in overtime. That ended at 67 67 in regulation, and then they had to go into overtime there. Fortunately, won. Um, we have player of the game, Brianna Stewart, with 31 points, nine rebounds, four assists, three steals, and one block. And that is Stewie's first 30-point performance of the season. So looking forward to seeing more. <laughs> On the 29th, they once again played the Liberty. That was not what was expected, considering that overtime win. They won that one 92-61, to 61, completely dominant. Um, the player of the game there was Joel Lloyd with 22 points, three rebounds, six assists. And this is Seattle's eight home game homestand. Um, it's continuing and they're tied for the longest in WNBA history with those eight games. So moving on to some injury news here on the 26th, Steph Talba is announced out for May 20, the May 27th game against the Liberty with health and safety protocols. And not long after that, the next day we have some more injury news, um, against the Liberty again for the 27th Mercedes Russell would be out of course with that non-basketball injury Steph Talbot would be out with health and safety protocols and then Sue Bird and Ezzy Magbegor were also announced as out with health and safety protocols um on the 29th same the same four were out Mercedes Russell Steph Talbot Sue Bird and Ezzy Magbegor and then we'll just I mean it goes without saying that they stepped up in that hardship of having so many players out, a Sue Bird out, an Ezzy out. So just what did you see overall in that like overtime win that stood out to you? I mean, in, I'd say in both games, uh, Brian January and Jontel Lavender, two veterans who have been around the league a long time. It's January's last season in the W. Uh, both filled into those roles really well. In the second game, uh, Jontel, I thought, had a better performance. Obviously, mm-hmm. the double-double first yes. of any Storm player this season. Uh, but she had a good inside presence. I mean, was calm uh, down inside playing against Natasha Howard, who's great former Storm player. Stephanie Dolson, experienced veteran, played well inside. Um, and it just kind of seemed like those other players did step up. Keanu Williams uh, did not get as many minutes in that first game, but uh, it, it was kind of tough. The Storm felt like they were kind of building in the first half, which was kind of surprising. Normally that that juice kicks in in the third period. Um but then it kind of just were giving up shots and shots and shots as the yeah. season as the, well, the third quarter was the biggest. Uh, I think they were outscored nine points in the third quarter um, and just things couldn't, couldn't play well down low uh, as the end of the game reached it. And then it was kind of Stewie continued Stewie throughout that game, just continued to attack the rim um, and just kind of took over in overtime. That's what I saw in that game, but it was really interesting to see that obviously lose to bird who, Top of the near the top of the league in assists obviously mm-hmm. isn't bringing you as much uh, in terms of points, but also Ezzy and Ted that she's been on, that's a big loss there. Yes. Even Steph Tabbitt, these are all important players, you know. So a key point that was made, I think, even when we you, you were there, um, 
it was brought up then and it was brought up again was having these players fly commercial um, and then not having like a G League, like uh, a practice player spot so that they can have these players with the organization, with the system, be familiar, be able to come up, you know, like when the Mariners call guys up from Tacoma Mm -hmm. to be able to fill in for this. Because you said I had to sign uh, Kayla Davis to a hardship contract, had to bring in Keanu Williams, had to have her pack her bags immediately. Um, These are difficult situations to put people in. You know, you're basically on call. Um, So it was really, I mean, obviously props to those players who had to sign hardship contracts and fill in. But this is a situation with the W that needs to be resolved. Yes. And several players, I think, Joel Lloyd spoke up on it. So, yes, definitely. Um, Moving on here for team notes, since we've covered that Keanu Williams and Kayla Davis were signed to a hardship contract here. I'll move on to our other news. Uh, Storm President CEO Alicia Balavanis named Seattle Sports Leader of the Year. The award, which was handed out this year for the first time since 2012, recognizes a leader whose efforts have demonstrated significant and positive impact within a sports organization or the Washington sports community. Valavanis has guided the Seattle Storm through a monumental year as a team returns to the Seattle Center and the new, newly renovated Climate Pledge Arena. Valavanis has been instrumental in the Storm's recently announced training facility, which, when completed in 2024, will be the only practice facility dedicated for the exclusive use of a WNBA team. She has also overseen the growth of the Storm's Force for Change program. The franchise's comprehensive social justice platform, which allows the storm to be a force to affect meaningful change in Seattle. So congratulations to her. And it's well-deserved. Moving on to some league notes here. On the 24th, the Washington Mystics hold a media blackout in protest of gun control due to the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Um, they did step up to the podium, but they just said, we're doing a media blackout. Uh, we don't agree with the way things are currently. And so we want change um, in more words than that. <laughs> yeah. So again, just like you said, it's interesting to see just different players, different leagues stepping up and speaking up about gun control on the 25th. We have a kind of update on Brittany Griner. Um, it has been more than a hundred days since Brittany Griner. Yeah. Since Brittany Griner was detained. So her wife spoke of the situation and states that she has gotten the chance to speak to, she hasn't gotten the chance, I'm sorry, to speak to Brittany Griner very much. And she called to action President Biden because she believes that he is the only one who can go get her. And honestly, we all follow behind her, I think. So she said, you can say she's top priority, but I want to see it. So hopefully we do see something changing here. Actions um, do speak louder yeah, than words. They do. So Yeah. So the Storms sit at a that five is, yeah, five and three standing. They're third in the Western Conference. And looking ahead, we have a June 3rd matchup versus the Dallas Wings at 7 p.m. And a June 5th versus the Connecticut Sun at 3 p.m. So that about wraps up the WNBA. And we'll move on to our Sounders. So another kind of <laughs> – the Sounders are trying to get back into their form. You know, there was this – talk about a hangover from the CCL final. I did not buy that. You know, you lose the Open Cup game, totally fine. It's Open Cup. That's not the top priority. CCL final and the MLS Cup are your priorities. You win uh, Open Cup? Sure. Fine. Another trophy to add to the the case. But, you know, it's a tough situation. Uh, You try to get back into 
prioritizing actual MLS play. They beat Minnesota. They lose to Colorado. No teams have really been able to win in Colorado. So I kind of give you some slack there. But Charlotte comes to town. Charlotte, an expansion team. They're 5-2 at two at home. But now they I, – I, well, heading into this matchup, there were zero wins, five losses, one draw on the road. Mm-hmm. So obviously they can't win away from home. With that being said, the Sounders helped with that, uh, beating Charlotte 2-1. to one. This is a comeback win. Uh, the Sounders had to score two second-half goals uh, in order to uh, get the three points. Player of the game, uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, an 80th-minute winner. Uh, I don't want to speak much about it, and I would rather just show you because this – I was a little busy during this, but I did watch it, and it was a little bit insane. Yeah. He's – his momentum is carrying him away from the ball, and there's still a shot that is damn near impossible. I just, I'm going to roll it. <laughs> recover. Rui Diaz on the right foot drives in, and Rui Diaz has scored. 2 1, Seattle. How do you, I mean, falling away, still, Raul continues to be a guy that amazes. Uh, One of the guys that is one of the Sanders all-time leading scorers and always steps up in big moments. So great to get. I mean, what did you call him a few weeks ago? Clutch? I would say that, yeah. Look at that clutch shot there. (laughs) I mean, what, two goals in the final to to win that? It's just, he's a guy that you wanted to lock up, and I'm glad that they did this offseason. Um and it was it's nice to continue that uh, like i said you had been out of the playoff uh out of any playoff race when you were playing in ccl but obviously there was something bigger at hand it seems like they're really getting back into rhythm i'm not saying that they're fully in rhythm right now but they're they're getting back to it is my point so uh it's actually funny the with this game on sunday it begins the Sounders first ever five match homestand. Mm. They have never played more than three MLS home games in a row before. And the most for all competitions was four in three different instances, 2011, 2020 and 2021 uh, long stretches that were more common when they were in the a league or the USL era, uh, multiple six game homestands and eight match runs in 2008, but never in MLS. So we got some, uh, some big homestands coming around here yeah. in the city. Um, so anyway, we'll continue. Uh, Jao Paulo on the 25th had successful surgery to repair his ACL tear in his right knee. So now it's the best of luck uh, with his recovery, trying to get back one of the MVP finalists in the league, let alone being the Sounders MVP last season. Um, just hoping that Jao can uh, come back as, as strong as ever and uh, obviously no setbacks for him as he rehabs. On the 27th, the injury report against Charlotte was completely clean. So you like to see that. Uh, so with that being said, the Sounders moved to a five win, six loss, one draw record. Uh, they are 10th in the Western Conference now, so not quite yet in a playoff spot, but they're looking for it. Um, on the 14th, they will play the Vancouver Whitecaps in their next matchup. So they've got an international break now. They won't be doing much um, outside of the guys who are actually going uh, to play for their teams. Uh, and that is a 7.30 p.m. start time at Lumen Field. So this is a Cascadia matchup. Obviously, anything Cascadia is always sure to get its draw, and I love it. Uh, you love the rivalry. You love how that goes, but you need to take care of business. Yeah. Um, 
So we'll see them continue rolling. There's nothing Kraken related. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I don't have anything to pass to you. No, that's fine. Go, go on and we'll just continue with soccer here and yeah, we'll, move on to our with the rain. Yeah. It's, it's kind of odd, you know, it's just when you skip a segment, it feels weird. <laughs> uh, we'll head over to our rain here who played so three games in one week, you know, let alone being a professional athlete. That feels like a lot to you. No, I mean, three games, oh, yeah. one week. Um, so there were some mixed lineups, but the rain had nine points on the table. Let's see how many they got. Um, so May 25th versus the Kansas City Current uh, on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock, which is you know, it's kind of tough, you know, especially for people to try to come and get them out of there. Uh, a one to nothing win, player of the game forward, Bethany Balser, with a goal, two shots in 27 minutes played, obviously coming on to sub as a super sub, uh, recording the game-winning goal in the 80th minute uh, off a great service from Sofia Huerta. And then on the 29th versus the San Diego Wave, playing the Wave who were at the top of the NWSL table coming into this game, four wins and one draw. They had not lost a game. That would change on the 29th. A one to nothing win. Player of the game, forward Rose Lavelle. I know that's kind of weird. She's normally a midfielder, but yeah. <laughs> they had her playing as a forward this match uh, with a goal on three shots in 90 minutes, scoring a game-winning goal in the 75 minute, 75th minute, a header goal, which Rose is not known for her headers. So seeing that play was pretty cool. Um, but so out of nine possible points in that three match week, you got seven, which hard to complain about a draw and two wins to go undefeated in a week when you've got three matches, I'd say that's a success. Um, but there, there's some more news on that 20, the 29th is a big day for the club. So we'll get to that. First, we look at the injury news, uh, on the 25th, the match report against Kansas city was clean. So it's always good to see that on the 29th though, Against San Diego, Megan Rapino was out with a back injury. So we'll follow along with that and see how serious mm-hmm. that may be. Um, but obviously, if she wasn't able to play, it's of some note, right? So we will keep an eye on press conferences and ask when we're able to uh, about that. On the 29th, as I mentioned, we'll get into team news here. During halftime, the rain tweeted out before the match that there would be a special announcement at halftime about someone returning. And, and this was very interesting because I did I did my little I put my detective hat on. <laughs> I already wear a ton of hats on the show anyway. Um, but they they had the three rain originals in the video they released. It was obviously Megan, Jess, mm-hmm. and Lauren, and they showed the the honor kits. Like we mentioned, they've got the names of all the players uh, that have ever played for the club running down the middle of them, mm-hmm. and they showed a certain part of it. And you, you're trying to figure out if it's on there. Uh, I thought it was Eugenie Le Sommer who came over from uh, Olympic Lyon last year because uh, she was left off of the Euros roster for France. So that would free up her summer uh, effectively, right? Yeah. That's what my guess would be. A friend of mine said Kim Little. Kim Little was a fan favorite uh, with the rain. We'll get into her accolades there. It was obviously we would find out it's Kim Little. Kim Little will return to the club with a loan from Arsenal uh, from June 1st to the beginning of Arsenal's 2022-2023 season, which begins on the 15th of August. So it's not that long of a loan. It's kind of, uh, she's essentially being signed to help as a uh, national team replacement player while some of the other players uh, like Lavelle, um, like Huerta, um, hopefully Bethany Balser go and play with the international team. Uh, but still, I mean, you're getting a fan favorite back, someone who played with the rain when they were the Seattle rain back from 2014 mm-hmm. to 2016, playing in Memorial Stadium, helping the rain to two NWSL shields uh, and also winning 
a league MVP uh, back a while ago. Um, so it's it's obviously a big help to have that, but it's it, it sucks that it's such a short time. But it's to have her to have Kim Little in a rain uniform in Seattle, let alone at Lumen Field, will be a pretty cool spectacle to see. The rain don't play at home again until the 18th. Uh, of june so that is when we'll see her but so her loan begins in two days uh it's it'll be interesting to see if she's good to go for the june 4th match against chicago uh i would say no i would say they're going to try to implement her and get her up to speed and uh, get her familiar with other players but that's it, it, it'll be really cool to see that uh i my parents would bring me to the rain games at memorial stadium so kim little is someone that i had seen before um also on the 29th uh, i had a little graphic made for this i went out i had a little you graphic did. made. uh just Fishlock would hit 150 nwsl regular season appearances uh so she's one of the rain originals one of the three that's been with the club her entire uh club career here uh since 2000 what that 2013 uh in those 150 games 34 goals and 22 assists or 23 assists my apologies uh and winning mvp of the league last year um it's just someone that, as I've, I've said before, that I think I said it in the uh, when the season ended. Um, but when you look at this rain team, she is the engine that continues to push it. She is the. It, I, I, I always joke that during the rain games, they should just have a Jess cam just so you can see it. She's very lively, always you know on the refs, on her teammates, uh, and just someone that makes this whole operation go. So congratulations on 150 NWSL regular season appearances to you, Jess. Um, so n- nothing league news related. Uh, as we look ahead here, the rain record sits at two wins, uh, one loss, three draws. Uh, they sit at third in the NWSL table right now. So they jump from about seven to third Nice. Um, at the current moment. I, I think there are some, there's a game going on tonight that might change that. But they, they've, they've jettisoned, jettisoned themselves uh, pretty significantly. Looking ahead, they will play June 4th versus the Chicago Red Stars in Chicago. That's a noon start, which is kind of interesting on a Saturday <laughs> um, in Chicago in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, but that's another opportunity for them to continue to build on a little two-game road trip. So uh, with that being said here, we head over to our Seawolves who continue to – we're we looking tried. for a playoff spot. We're <laughs> – they, they had a lot of uh, things against them. Uh, they would win the game, but just not how they needed to. Yeah. So on the 27th, they played the Houston Sabercats. That was a win, 43-36. to 36. Player of the game was fly half AJ Alatino with 13 total points. And just like you said, they got kicked out of playoff contention on what was it? That uh, they They had a certain set of circumstances that had to happen. They had to win by eight points. They could not give up four tries, and they could not give up any standing points to to Houston. So with rugby, with Major League Rugby, it's interesting. If you score four tries, regardless of if you win or not, you get a point in the standings. Um, they needed a win by more than eight. You only won by seven. They went into halftime twenty nine to seven. You know that's a good start. You've got you've, you're getting near that try area. You're getting near that bonus point. And then towards the end of the game, I think it was like after the 70th minute, Houston just fevered the fought to get those two tries and to bring them close. So that's it. Uh, there will be no playoffs this year. But 
if I tell you this, in 2020, they it was a season cut short, so hard to argue with that, but they only won, I think, one game out of five. Yeah. So one for four, still tough. And then last year, they were four and 12. I would say at the, this is this is improvement, and this is I would take some victory out of this, right? You know, you turn it around, you're fighting for a playoff spot at least into the last, second to last week of the season. Mm-hmm. I would consider that somewhat of a victory. I don't know how you would perceive that, but I, I they they fought it, and I think they'll have a better go around it next year. Um, but compared to the last two years, I think this is a solid turnaround. Yeah, improvement is always good. So I think you can consider that even though it's not really a win, a win. <laughs> Partial. Yeah. So their record would sit at eight and seven. Standing would be fifth in the Western Conference with 41 points. And looking ahead, they play the LA Giltinis at 3 p.m. on June 5th. And this is a first in the Western Conference team, 11 and four with 54 points. So hopefully they have enough enough in them still to you play some spoiler i know that uh i think la sits at the top of the west by a slim margin oh. so if the sea wolves could play some spoiler and help some seating i mean i think the three teams in the playoffs are locked in now yeah but you could you could play some spoiler you know you could ruin some seasons which is That's always, always fun. fun so yeah. well, not ruin some seasons but make it a difficult road right to traverse yeah. so with that being said we'll head over to star of the week which is always it's always a nice little segment to go and reflect on. Bell, Bell went with Stewie. Stewie, uh, I doubled was... down. Yeah, she was my pick last week. Oh, I, I thought yeah. it seemed familiar. So yeah. why Stewie this week? <laughs> um, her first thirty-point performance of the season, and it came when the team needed her. I mean, of course, we had Steph Talbot, Ezzy Magbagor, Subert out for the, both of those games. She had that thirty-point performance in the first game. Um. But it's the 13th in her career, and on that night, she also made 15 of 18 free throws. So, oh yeah, yeah, I attacking think, the rim. Yeah, I just think it's important as a leader to continue to lead, and I think her dominant performance in that first game um, allowed for other people to continue to feed off of her energy, and then come out and have that blowout win in that second game. So, just appreciating her leadership and. Again, she is number one in the WNBA for a reason. Yeah. I mean, best player in the world when healthy. And as we've said several times before, when Seattle makes a deep playoff run, Stewie is healthy. Yes. So, yeah, I never a bad pick. <laughs> I personally went with Kyle Lewis. As I've alluded to, Kyle's been a guy that, I mean, his, I met the guy too, so it didn't help there. You know, <laughs> his story was already an incredible one. So to have that personal aspect of it doesn't help. But to see him battle through, essentially blowing out his entire knee, not yeah. just in an ACL, but like UCL, all that destroyed in Everett. And then to work back to that, to win rookie of the year last year, a guy that, you know, when, when, during 2020 and when baseball was around, there's not much going on, right, at the time. We can't really do much. To be able to go home, well, not go home, to be at home, turn on TV and watch a guy like Kyle Lewis day in and day out and win rookie of the year, it helps. It helps get through all of that and what it was going on. And to see him deal with another injury last year mm-hmm. and to start the year on injury report this year and to come in and immediately contribute. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's really cool to see that. So Kyle Lewis, I doff my cap to you. Um, and that's our episode for the week. That's you know, it. the Mariners continue their season. The Seahawks kind of work through things in their off season uh, sort of schedule. The storm are rolling right now, four in a row. I'm gonna keep that going. Um, I think I wanted to touch on it. You know, you get these eight games at home. It's a lot of time for practice. It's a lot of time to really 
set the sail straight, mm-hmm. you know, and prepare yourself for the rest of the season. Cause you and I have talked about the defense and how important that is. Yes. You sustain that you're going far. Yes. You know, um, so the Sounders, they're getting back into shape. The rain hitting their stride as well. Seawolves, the win the game. It's a tough <laughs> loss. So I'd say it's a successful week. Yeah, I would take that sure. as a successful week in our sports world. So with that being said, we got some, uh, I don't know where they're at right now, but we got some people in the house. I mean, Salman is always the dedicated, I mean, a, a, troop, a trooper. Over there. Salman, <laughs> I salute you and all that you do. Uh, Ike, Ike Everard's here. He's uh, going to be helping us a lot with what we do. Uh, on Circling Seattle Sports. My guy Omari is here. He's kind of sitting back there <laughs> trying to be nonchalant about it. So some guys that really help make Circling Seattle Sports go. I mean, the, these two faces up here that you see do some work, but the guys behind the cameras are a really big help. So with that being said, uh, we will see you next Monday. In uh, we'll June? Be in, we'll be in, uh, I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that. Stuff's moving too fast, but we're getting towards summer. The nice They should be nicer. We should hopefully get less of that rainfall uh, until we see you again. Do whatever you can to make today a great day. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Woof Wednesdays. It is the first of the month of June. Welcome to June uh, as we rapidly approach summer here. Kind of odd now that there are no active Husky games that we cover. Nobody to post scores of, nobody to do uh, game day posts of. So it's kind of uh, kind of feels weird uh, for the time being. So, you know, with that being said, uh, before we get into the content of the episode, I want to release a little bit of a teaser here. I've got a few of these, well, more than a few, but um, some of these matchup pucks um, that I'm going to give away here pretty soon, as well as one of these bad boys. Um, so... If that is something that anybody is interested in, they will be given away here uh, sometime in the near future once I get that all figured out. But with that being said here, we will get right into the subject matter of Woof Wednesdays, uh, starting off with the University of Washington football team. Uh, Just some minor things in terms of team-related news. Uh, The Huskies would find out the dates and broadcast locations of five different contests scattered throughout their schedule. They're not all like the first five or any... uh, consecutive period of time just five of those games um so on september 3rd versus kent state uh the huskies will play with a 7 30 p.m pacific time start on fox sports one uh september 10th versus portland state is a 1 p.m pacific time kickoff on the pac-12 network in the state of washington so if you're in washington state turn on pac-12 network you'll have the huskies game versus portland state portland state obviously bj malo a oday alum uh, so that'll be a fun game to see. Uh, September 17th versus Michigan State, Michigan State is a 4.30 p.m. start on ABC. So that'll be a big game there. Uh, taking on the Spartans. Uh, September 30th at UCLA. That is a 7.30 p.m. start on ESPN. And then November 7th versus the Oregon State Beavers is a 7.30 p.m. start on ESPN, too. So uh, cool to know when some of these things are starting. Uh, helps us out here at Circling Sales Sports with our schedule and all of that uh, sort of thing. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not not too much. They're not exactly ideal to play an opponent like Kent State at 7.30, obviously. We look back at Montana last year, so I don't want to necessarily downplay any of these opponents. Um, but interesting to look at, not, you know, uh, Portland State at 1 o'clock on the 10th. Playing Michigan State is a big deal already, let alone being on ABC. UCLA at 7.30. Um, 
and then Oregon State there as the Huskies look for a, a rematch there, um, playing UCLA for the first time in a little bit. So these these will all be exciting games, obviously, but uh, just interesting to see how they fall out in terms of broadcast locations as well as timing. Um, and then on the 25th, uh, Lincoln Keenholes included UW in his final four schools. He is a 60 quarterback from TF Riggs High School in South Dakota. A three-star quarterback is also a multi-sport athlete, uh, showing some prowess in the basketball court, uh, is going to be taking his official visit to the University of Washington on the 23rd of June. Uh, out of North, so he's got his final four is really interesting to me. It's North Dakota State, University of Wisconsin, University of Wyoming, and then Washington. Kind of an interesting, um, kind of an interesting group of uh, schools there. It's kind of funny to see the three of them have the W in it, but I don't know. Really interesting, you know. Uh, not to you don't want to scoff at any of these uh, visits either, because you never know who can turn into what sort of player. Um, but certainly interesting to just kind of look at the other places that he's holding in his top four uh, and consider the fact that the uh, University of Washington is in that top four. So uh, we'll be monitoring that as well as other sort of commitments and things like that as they continue as we head over to uh, baseball, baseball playing in the inaugural Pac-12 baseball tournament, uh, beginning that tournament with a matchup excuse me, against uh, Oregon State on May 25th. Oregon State, one of the best teams in the country. So not exactly an easy thing to start the tournament off with, but it was a, excuse me, again, like hiccups or something, double elimination tournament. So UW, if they had lost that game, they would have had another chance anyway, uh, which they would. Uh, May 25th versus Oregon State, an 8-13 to loss. So certainly keeping up with the firepower to an extent um, of Oregon State and the Beavers. Played the game second baseman Josh Earps going 4-5 for five with two runs and two RBIs. So Earps having a nice game there. But ultimately the Beavers, uh, their muscle just proved to be more powerful than the Huskies there. And then May 26th versus UCLA, the second game there. Um, did I read 18-13 wrong? I don't remember. Um May 26th versus UCLA, an uh, 8-14 loss, uh, so ending the Husky season. There, player of the game, right fielder Kobe Morales, going 2-4 for four with a run and two RBIs. So, unfortunate way to end the season. Uh, nice to see that UW was able to insert themselves back. Um, well, not back. Insert themselves into that Pac-12 tournament in the first place after having a kind of a rough patch uh, through the season to win those 12 games to end the regular season. Uh, to beat teams like UCLA, um, win series against Stanford. Uh, it was really impressive to see that. And, you know, with a, a lot of the younger guys on this club, um, it gives you hope for next year, uh, at least for me personally. Um, so with that being said, I know that usually we give teams a week before we do the season interview after their season ends, but we had the time. So we're going to look at the baseball, UW baseball season in review here, starting off with MVP. I went without fielder McKay Barney. Barney is a junior uh, hitting at a 315 batting average, a 760 OPS, uh, playing and starting in every game that he appeared in. Uh, 73 hits, 40 runs, 10 doubles, two triples, a homer. 23 runs batted in, 90 total bases, a 3.88 slugging percentage, 18 walks on the year, a 3.72 on base percentage, and 15 stolen bases. On the defensive side of things, he only had one error on the year uh, for a 9.92 fielding percentage. So really impressive there 
there by Barney, obviously a junior. So he's got the next year of a bit. Oh, since he's a junior, he might have two years because of COVID left. It's complicated how that all kind of works out sometimes. Um, but a really great year by Barney. I mean, a name that consistently popped up when looking at these games. Um, and just was a stud out there in the outfield. So uh, continuing here with the pitcher of the year, a guy who already won some honors, some Pac-12 honors, uh, Stephen Wraith. Wraith uh, was a redshirt junior uh, with a 3.39 ERA, a 1.15 whip, a 5-4 win-loss record and 30 appearances, uh, only two starts on the year, uh, recording four saves and 66.1 inning, innings pitched, 89 strikeouts compared to only 19 walks. So Wraith uh, showed some promise there. Like I said, Richard Jr. Um, and earning some Pac-12 honors. So again, this is guys like I'm not saying it's like the freshmen and the sophomores winning these awards um, that are giving me hope necessarily, but also some of these guys like the juniors who will, you know, take the next step up next year and ultimately be the leaders in the locker room. Uh, so continuing that newcomer of the year, a guy that I was kind of surprised to learn that he's a fre- he's listed as a freshman on the uh, program's roster online uh aj guerrero guerrero is a freshman as as is listed um with a 299 batting average an 871 ops played in every game that he appeared in well every game played in every single game um 64 hits 35 runs 14 doubles 10 homers 42 runs batted in a 108 for total bases 108 total bases a 505 slugging percentage drawing 24 walks a 366 on base percentage, wait, on base plus slugging, uh, and two stolen bases. So Guerrero, a guy that uh, continued to show it as the season continued on, um, and you know as we got to those, as we got through that 12 game winning streak, uh, was really someone whose name popped up a lot. I think in the UNC series against yeah, the one against Northern Colorado, his name showed up the most, uh, and it was really someone who flicked it on there. Uh, and that's one of the names that it's like, this is a ball club that's going to be able to do a lot next year. Um, at least I think. Obviously, we've got to go through an off season and they have to play the next season. But signs of uh, something to look forward to, right? Um, continuing here, uh, do 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 just trying to make sure I get the right stuff uh, for the growth award. This is like a comeback player of the year kind of thing, but I, I use this more as a sort of showing more growth than they had in the last calendar season. Uh, I went with catcher Johnny Tincher. Uh, he had a .185 increase in batting average, 36 more games played this year, 26 more runs, 60 more hits, 11 more doubles, 35 more RBIs, a two sixty seven slugging percentage increase, and a two thirty seven percentage on base percentage increase. So in Tincher, a guy that earned – all Pac-12 honors, uh, and you can see the increases there, really becoming the guy behind the dish for the Huskies. Um, and, again, exciting to see what a guy like he will do next season. Um, and then it could have been Tincher or this player for Defender of the Year, but I wanted to kind of make it stick out more and not have guys necessarily double up a bunch. Um, I went with, for Defender of the Year, I went with infielder, slash first baseman Will Simpson uh, with 434 putouts, 31 assists, only four errors on the year for a .9-1 fielding percentage and uh, being a part of 37 double plays. Um, 
a Simpson is another guy that you look at this Husky ball club and it's like, Hey, there are some solid pieces for you uh, next season to really improve and be a better baseball team. Um, and just to put work in, in the off season, uh, add some guys in this upcoming class and just improve and see that form that you had to end the year and try to sustain that throughout the rest of the, the, the entirety of a regular season. So uh, looking over here to uh, game of the year, I went with May 8th versus UCLA, a 4-3 to three walk-off win, a walk-off win to end the series to get the sweep of UCLA. This was one of the moments during that 12-game win streak. I was like, hey, these guys are for real. They're closing out the year on a hot streak, and it's no joke. You know, they you can win games hot, sure, come out and, and, and uh, ambush a team, but can you win the close games? Can you come back? Can you – mount the ninth inning comeback and they did um a couple of times for that uh, win streak i believe so uh that may 8th game versus ucla at home and for three walk-off wins going two runs in the ninth inning biggest strength finding that spark late i mean it's this was a ball club that uh was below 20 wins i think heading into one of the two final months of the season and they hit that win streak and they were able to really find things and start clicking um was it a little bit too late? Maybe not necessarily. I would, you know, consider getting into the tournament, um, Pacto tournament. That's solid for where you were at the midway point of the season. Um, but this year, I mean, that's what it was to me. Uh, area to address, I would say consistency. This is something that you need to be able to do day in and day out, or at least for the majority of the season, if you want to be considered anything serious. You know, at the University of Washington, there is so much. You're one of the more well-known universities in the country. There's a standard to be upheld, right? And so that doesn't go for just the football team. I, I'm only saying that because not enough people pay attention to the softball team, to the volleyball team, right? Uh, so, you know, this is something, consistency is something that you have to uphold. Starting pitching, uh I don't want to say, I don't really want to throw starting pitching in there, but you'd want to get some more consistency in that regard as well. Uh, you got to be able to give your team a chance on the mound as well as the defensive side of the ball, but I would say that the, the firepower to an extent was there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it all bundles up into consistency, right? Uh, things to look forward to. I've said it throughout the segment. You've got these younger guys on this team that some of them – will become seniors in the, in the junior regard and then lead a team. And then some of these guys like Guerrero being in that first year or two have more room to grow. And then, you know, they have roles to fill, they have shoes to fill, and maybe they shine in that regard. Right. So uh, that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to, to see some of these guys come back next year. Um, obviously some of the guys in this upcoming class uh, come in as well, but some of these guys that may take another jump, um, as we head into the offseason now for baseball. So they finished their record uh, 30 and 26, eighth in the Pac 12. And overall, guys, um, solid year, really solid year way to finish it out. Um, and looking forward to next year. Uh, so we head over to softball. It is our end of the season review for softball. Um, so, same format here. Uh, we go over to MVP. And it's hard to argue that it was not Bailey Klingler. Uh, so obviously we went with Bailey Klingler here. We played a little bit over the outfield, played a good amount of time at shortstop, played a good amount of time at third as well, uh, mixed some time over at second base as well, I believe. Um, 
But anyway, had a 434 batting average. Yes, a 434 batting average, a 1.448 OPS playing in every game, 75 hits, 46 runs, 13 doubles, two triples, 24 homers, uh, 71s. Uh, runs batted in 164 total bases, a 948 slugging percentage, 23 walks, a 500 on base percentage, and three stolen bases on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, obviously, earning Pac-12 defensive honors, um, 57 putouts, 70 assists, a 948 fielding percentage, and two double plays. Um, I would nitpick one thing, uh, and that would be the seven errors she had on the year. But at the end of the day, you're in all Pac-12 honors, honors defensively. Can't complain about much, and was as well as the offensive impact that Klingler's had. Somebody that is um, just always bringing positivity to this ball club. That really seems like uh, one of the leaders on this club. It seems uh, someone that's just been incredible since coming here via the transfer portal from uh, Texas A and M. Just incredible, just incredible as a player and as a person off of the diamond um, as well. Uh, and I could say the same exact thing for the next person that we have on this list for pitcher of the year, Gabby Plain. It's it's hard to understate uh, how great of a player and as a person it seems that Gabby Plain has been. Uh, obviously, we'll get to her leaving here in a second here as well as an, another award that she won. Uh, but Plain on this last season, a 1.93 ERA, a 1.14 whip a 20 to 20-win, uh, 8-loss record, 17 complete games, 9 shutouts, 181.1 innings pitched, and 210 strikeouts on the year. Um, simply put, Gabby Plain is incredible. It is hard to describe her um, in a way that does her complete justice. Uh, but at the end of the day, there will never be a Gabby Plain. Obviously, you know, when you look at the pitching numbers, uh, Daniel Laurie name, Daniel Laurie's name comes up a lot. Um, but it's incredible to see how, uh, how much steadiness there was with Plain. Uh, just con- consistency. I talked about it with baseball, right? Consistency there was with Plain. Uh, and how much confidence that this team had going into a game, knowing, that, hey, we've got a Gabby Plain on our side. She's going to be stepping into the circle, and we always have a chance with her. And that could, you know, I say that always have a chance part. You think about the Michigan games last year in the postseason. So uh, I, I remember, too, a little bit with the sort of COVID-y season, 2020, well, not as much 2020, but 2021 uh, just kind of following along with softball and seeing Gabby Plain's name pop up a lot. Um, there was the UW Dog Pound Twitter account with the Aussie meme. Uh, just someone that will be remembered forever um, in the purple and gold. Uh, and there's some players. There's a player, too. I would put Klingler in that regard as well. Um, yeah, just incredible. Uh, the, the The greatness that we get to watch. Um, newcomer of the year, I, I, you know, with the freshman, you could have kind of gone a bunch of different ways. Fiedler had some great impact towards the end of the year. Holtorf had her moments and will continue to grow. So will Fiedler. Olivia Johnson, though, in terms of the stats on paper, uh, took the cake here for newcomer of the year. Uh, a 261 batting average, a 1.011 OPS, 31 hits, 23 runs, four doubles, a triple, 11 homers, 25 RBIs, 70 total bases, a 588 slugging percentage, 
31 walks, and a .423 on base percentage. Johnson really blew up during the invitational stages, continued to just mash and mash and mash. And you see here, her, her numbers to finish out the year are not bad. Um, just somebody who uh, seated more of the catching duties is someone that we'll look at here in a second, but continued to make an impact as a designated player. Um, and it will be really cool to see her growth as well, as well as all of the freshmen. You know, it's, 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 they've, they've got a really great uh, leadership group. You've got Sis, uh, Sis Bates is still uh, within the organize within the program. Heather Tarr is an incredible coach. So these, these, I think we've talked about this before, but the freshmen in this program have such great uh, people and role models to look up to. Um in terms of the growth award for softball, I went with catcher Jen Cummings. Cummings, as I kind of mentioned, uh, has taken the majority of the uh, catching duties, uh, starting in all but four games that she played in. A 250 batting average, uh, 24 hits, 15 runs, eight doubles, two homers, six RBIs, a 396 lugging percentage, nine walks, 405 on base percentage, and a 997 fielding percentage. Um, just took way more of a role as a catcher this year, obviously, um, after having um, Morgan Flores on this club. Uh, I think Cummings, you know, there's still some room to grow there, but really being able to take over that role um, and be someone that, you know, you start all but four games that you play in, um, I would say there's some growth there. So uh, hats off to Jen. Uh, Defender of the year. I know that I talked about this in the baseball segment that I didn't want to have people double up, but Bailey Klinger, someone who won the Pac-12 defensive, uh, some Pac-12 defensive honors kind of had to go with her. Um, As I mentioned, the 57 put out 70 assists and 948 fielding percentage and two double plays on the year. Um, You know, again, with Klingler, you look at the offensive numbers and they look, the defensive numbers as well. It's incredible to think about uh, the caliber of caliber, caliber of player that you've got there. Um, game of the year. It was kind of tough to look at this one because a lot of the times with softball, they kind of steamrolled people. Um, I went with the May 22nd game versus Texas. They won uh, the final day of that regional, the first day game of the day, a two to one win. This was a game that everything, everything's on the table here. Uh, Texas got the first run across. Maddie Husky hits a two-run homer to give the Huskies the lead. They never look back. Um, and it just showed you. I mean, Klingler was obviously, you know, we, we got her as our MVP. Uh, but Husky, too, her name, she was a big part of this club and its success. Um, so that's, that's where I went with that direction there. Uh, and that kind of fields into the biggest strength of this club. There was a lot of power throughout this lineup, a lot of power. Um, and I mean, I think they hit the most homers uh, in a season that they ever have. I could be wrong. Um, Klingler led far and away with the homer department uh, on this team with 24. Um, but this also feeds into an area address. Looking into this next season, you're going to lose a Gabby plan. You're losing Pat Moore as well. Um, starting pitching has to be looked at. You got to think, hey, who's going to take over that role? Uh, Brooke Nelson went 5 and 0 in her starts. Um, had a pretty damn solid year in the circle as well. I mean, you look at Pat, Pat Moore. I almost said Pat Moore. I apologize, Pat. Uh, you look at Brooke Nelson, Sarah Willis, Kelly Lynch. Um, I don't 
want to be me. I don't want to get anybody. Let's take a look here. But uh, I, I don't want to be biased because I know that we've talked to Brooke, but she has some really solid numbers. Um, and so I, I, I don't remember who I talked to about this um, right after it finished, but after the softball season finished, but it's at some point there's going to be, you have to think there will be some sort of a word in the pitching department. Um, maybe, maybe not, but effectively there are big shoes to fill, you know? So we look at it on the, on the year. Yeah, no, I got it. Um, Nelson, uh, Lynch and Willis are the players that are not, that are going to, that didn't leave this roster and will be pitching next season. So who's going to fill that role. And then hitting consistency is what I was alluding to with the power hitting. Um, at times the bats went quiet and it's just, a lot of their runs in the regional were scored off of homers. And that's something that you don't necessarily want to rely on. Um, and just being able to consistently hit more. I looked at this roster's batting averages and, you know, you look at the top three or four and they're really good. And then you kind of see some drop off and granted, maybe that's because of the caliber of player that you've got on this roster. Uh, but I, overall, I think just um, hitting consistency is something that could be improved on. So, uh, with that being said, things to look forward to. Another year of Bailey Klingler. She will be back next season. And then a largely returning roster. Uh, granted, uh, there is the possibility um, of transfer portal. Um, but the only players that are going to be moving on, at least that I know of, are Gabby Plain and Pat Moore. So you think about that. That's a pretty large returning roster. So we'll ultimately have to see about that in the offseason, and we'll obviously keep you updated on that. Um, but certainly things to look forward to overall. Uh, always really happy with softball. They continue to be a incredible program at this university that since we've been doing this show, and obviously beforehand, but you know, in, in regards to the show, since we've been doing this show, have always been good. Uh, and always it's like, I remember with, uh, with Bennett, when we were recording the podcast, mainly he was going, Hey, you know, these softball scores are incredible. It's like, yeah, yeah, they are. Um, so we head over to team related news on the 26th. Gabby Plain was named the 2021 Seattle sports star of the year. Uh, she is the fifth Husky named the sports star of the year, joining Sis Bates, uh, Ali Aguilar, Daniel Laurie and Becky Newbury. And I apologize. I misspoke fifth, uh, softball Husky named, a sports star of the year, ranking top 10 in program history and career ERA, appearances, game started, wins, saves, complete games, shutouts, innings, pitches, pitches, innings, pitch, strikeouts, and winning percentage. Again, it is really hard to sum up uh, Gabby Plain's career because she'll go down as one of the top two pitchers in this program of all time. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and compare. That's not, gonna, that's not what we're going to do. Uh, but it isn't really notable to look at all she did, uh, see that she was recognized um, by the Seattle Sports Commission, um, and really just a, a nod of the cap. Uh, and excited to see what she does in AU softball. Uh, and also on the 26th, Bailey Klingler earned the number three overall spot in Softball America's Top 10 Players of the Month. Klingler, again, just like with playing hard to really put their impacts into words. And I, you know me, sometimes I ramble on, so best to not have me do that. So uh, with that being said, we close the door on softball and baseball for their seasons. Um, 
And yeah, it's gonna kind of be quiet here for a little bit. Uh, we're going to begin the month of June, obviously. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see when things start to pick up. We'll obviously keep you updated on that as well as on the social medias. Uh, like if you follow us here on Instagram, um, on Twitter, circling sports at circling sports, uh, Facebook, circling, circling Seattle sports. Also making sure uh, to go and follow us so that you can keep an eye on one of these matchup pucks. Obviously there's more than these two. Um, to have about nine. Um, but with that being said, this has been the June 1st edition of Woof Wednesdays. I am your host, Charles Hamaker, as always. Um, and until we see you again next Wednesday, uh, do whatever you can to make today a great day. Mm-hmm.